Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Jeff R. Steele. Dr. Steele is the senior pastor of Redeeming Grace Church of Coleman, Alabama. He's a conference speaker, owner of the Christian music group The Steels, and an award-winning singer and songwriter. Now, here's Dr. Steele. Matthew 28 and verse 6, the Word of God says this, the angel is speaking now to those closest to the tomb. This is the invitation of the angels. It's not hard to understand this. The angel said, he is not here, for he is risen like he said he would. Come see the place. It's an invitation. Did you get that? Come see the place where once the Lord lay. That's the invitation of an angel today. That's an invitation. The angel says, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Notice, please, the angel did not say, come and see the things that the Lord has done. Didn't say that. The invitation of the angel is not to come and see the things the Lord has done. The invitation of the angel is not to come and hear the things the Lord has said. Because let's face it, Jesus had worked many mighty miracles in their presence. The, whose presence? The presence of everybody that could listen to the invitation of the angel. And if they were going to be convinced by the signs and wonders, they would have been at the empty tomb. But they weren't convinced. It did not matter how many dead people he raised, how many sick people he healed, they were not convinced. Thousands had gathered to hear him speak. But what he said did not convince them. As a matter of fact, if you were to take all of the miracles, the signs and the wonders that Jesus did and put them together with all of the words that he had spoken, in the last three days of his life, the multitudes said, we would rather have a tried-by-the-evidence convicted felon released from a maximum security cell and you take Jesus and crucify him. That was the conclusion they came to. We'd rather see him dead based on his miracles, based on his spoken word. We'd rather see him dead and a convicted felon released to us. So the angel says, you weren't convinced by what he said. You weren't convinced by what he did. So come here and see if maybe this will convince you. Come and see the place where the Lord was buried and look and see what's inside. Because the angel said he's not there. If the mighty wonders did not convince you, if the spoken word did not convince you, maybe the empty tomb will get your attention. This isn't the first time people had been invited to come to a grave. Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, had been pronounced dead from an illness he suffered from, and he was buried on his own property somewhere. And they waited for Jesus himself to come, and when Jesus came, 
They said, Lazarus, your friend has died. And what did Jesus say? He said, show me the grave. I want to see the grave. I want to go to the deepest, darkest place a human being can possibly go, and that is to the grave. Jesus said at Lazarus' house, show me the grave. And they took Jesus to his grave. And they said, Lord, he's been dead four days. Lazarus has been dead and entombed for four days. They said, by now, his flesh has started to rot. His bones, some of them have begun to be exposed. You know what, Jesus? He stinks. By now, after four days in the tomb, he stinks. It didn't stop Jesus. Jesus stood outside of his grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out alive. Now these have come to the tomb. And the angel says, not Jesus, the angel says, come over here. Let me show you the grave. Let me show you where the Lord once lay. The angel said, come on. It's healthy and it's clean. Come on over here to the grave Jesus once occupied. You know what? Catacombs, graves, they're not places we like to go and get happy. Some of you are here today and you have buried a spouse, a precious husband or wife. And sometimes you go and visit the grave. You go to put flowers on the grave to make sure the grave is well maintained. And sometimes as you're standing at that grave site, as you're standing looking over that headstone, you might say something like, I know you're gone, but it feels like you're here every day. I sense you. I feel you. I've gone on with my life because I had no choice, but I sense you, your presence. I feel you. Some of you have buried a precious child. Some of you have buried a grandchild. I don't know how you live. I don't know how you make it, and yet here you are today having buried a child or a grandchild. And when you go to that cemetery, that baby land where you place them in the ground on this side of eternity forever, and you go there, you visit regularly, but you don't go there to get happy. You go there to look back, and you go there to remember. And you don't expect it to be immaculate and clean and perfect. No, it's not that kind of place. But the tomb of Jesus is healthy and clean. There's no stench of death. The Bible says the body of Jesus would never see corruption. There's no stench of death there. In fact, if you take a deep breath when you go to the tomb of Jesus, you don't smell death at all. You smell a sweet perfume, a sweet aroma, because when a rose is squeezed or broken, that's when it lets out its greatest aroma. The angel says, come and see the place where the Lord had laid. It is healthy and clean and pure. It's not where you want to go normally, but today the angel says, I invite you to come to the grave of Jesus and look inside and take a deep breath. It's healthy and clean. It smells wonderful as though a broken rose has let out all of its aroma. Oh, the angel said, come. Come to the place. 
come and see the place where the Lord had laid. The angel says it's a quiet place. It's a quiet place. If you've ever been to a cemetery, you know how quiet and pensive and reflective it is. Even if there are railroad tracks close to a cemetery, the noise of the train engine cannot seem to break the silence, the reflectiveness of a cemetery. Why is it so quiet? It's so quiet so that you and I can come to that place, the tomb of Jesus, and reflect on the sacrifice that was made so that you and I could be free from our sins, embrace the cross, and go to heaven when we die. You know what? We don't have any problem, do we? There's nobody in here that has a problem with the stable and the manger of Bethlehem. We have no problem celebrating in a happy way the birth of Jesus Christ. And listen, there's nobody in here that has a bad feeling about Easter, the day of his triumphant resurrection. We like that fine. We love his birth. We celebrate his resurrection. Let me tell you what we do have a problem with. We have a problem with his tomb because his tomb points back to his cross and his cross was where he made the sacrifice God sent him to make and we don't like that at all. You know why? Because everybody wants to do something to affect their own salvation. You want to go to church. You want to get baptized. You want to give more money. You want to do more work. Everybody wants to do something to affect their own salvation, but you cannot affect your own salvation one iota. Were it not for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, you would be headed for hell this morning as fast as you could get there, and so would I. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do to affect our own salvation only the sacrifice of Jesus made the difference, and we don't like that. You can't do anything to affect your salvation. I don't care how much you give, how often you come, whatever you do, none of it will get you into heaven. Only the sacrifice of Jesus. Come to his tomb, the angel said. Come to his grave. Sit here a minute and reflect on the price he paid for the sins you made and the fact that it's the only way you can get to heaven. Through his sacrifice. Come and see the place, the angel said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. It's clean, it's healthy, it's quiet. It's a costly tomb, expensive. The tomb was given to Jesus to be buried in by a wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea was his name. Well known, very wealthy. His crown achievement. The most important thing he could pass on to the next generation was the security that he had a place to be buried. And if he was going to be buried there, you better believe it was opulent. It was gorgeous. Over the tomb read the writing, Joseph of Arimathea is buried here. But Joseph had been a secret disciple of Jesus. Joseph had decided to follow the Savior as his Lord and King. But he wanted to maintain a distance. He wanted it to be secret. So he stayed apart from the 
crowds that followed Jesus. He watched from way out yonder while Jesus preached. He watched from across the street while he healed the sick and raised the dead. He was a secret disciple, but he was a believer. But this day when Jesus was cruelly beaten and mocked and spit on and crucified was more than his secrecy could take. On that day, Joseph of Arimathea, for lack of a better term, came out of the closet. And the way he made his decision public was, he said, give me his body. I'm going to bury him in my expensive and opulent tomb. Now, you might be here today and you might say, hey, Jeff, wait a minute. Something I don't get. If Jesus ate, he ate at the table of his disciples around the countryside who invited him in to eat because he didn't have any food. If he wore clothes, he would wear them three and four days in a row because they didn't have washing machines and he didn't have the money to buy anything new. Jesus, looking up one day into the trees, said, the birds have nests looking toward the ground. He said, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And now it comes to his death and he's being buried in such an expensive tomb. Why in the world? How do you make that happen, Jeff? Well, how does this impoverished son of God, son of man, how does he now come to the time of his death and he's buried in such an opulent and beautiful tomb, wealthy tomb? I'll tell you how that is, folks. His heavenly father had sent him to do a job. And that job was to be beaten, to be spit on, to be cursed to his face and ultimately nailed to the old rugged cross. That was the job God sent him to do. But when Jesus Christ cried, it is finished, God said it's finished. The work is over. It's done. That work that I saw in advance and it broke my heart, that work that he performed on that cross where his Inside, internal organs were hanging out of his body where he was beaten with a whip, beaten with the hands of sinful men, cursed by men, and then hung on the cross. And finally, his heart beat its last, and Jesus Christ announced it's finished, and God said, yes. I had to turn my back. I couldn't even watch what my son was going through as he took in his body the sins of the world, your sins and mine. It got so filthy to God he couldn't even look. The Bible says he turned his back on his only begotten son. He could not look at the sacrifice of Jesus because it looked too much like you and it looked too much like me, sinners. And God turned away and couldn't look. But when Jesus said it's finished, God says yes. It's over. The work is done. It's all completed. And let me say this, God said, to all humanity for all time, you will never crucify him again. You will never slap his face. You will never pluck his beard out of his face again. You will never beat him with a cat of nine tails again. No, no, the work is finished. It's done. And never again will my only begotten son be treated with such disrespect by sinful men that he came to save. Bury him with the royals. Bury him with the kings. Bury him in opulence. Bury him in the greatest tomb money can buy because his job is over. The work is done. It's all been completed. And God said, bury him like the king he is. Never will he be crucified again. God had had enough. Bury him in the tomb 
of opulence. Joseph of Arimathea, God moved on his heart and said, I know you built that tomb for you. Give it to my son. Bury him with the greats, the immortals, the kings. Bury him. The work is finished. Never, ever again will he suffer another indignity in all of his eternal life. Bury him like the great and the wealthy. I was watching on Facebook last night. Some friends of mine were singing, and I wanted to see them through the miracle of modern technology, just like you're looking at me right now. Across this country, I was able to watch them in another city, another state. You don't know them, so it didn't even bother make, make any difference if I call their name. But two years ago, we sang at their big concert in Florida. It's an outdoor concert. They called it the cow pasture singing, and I, I wouldn't have believed it, but I, I, I stepped in something down there. It was every bit cow pasture singing. I was sitting behind our product table as several groups were singing, and the father of that group slipped in beside of me. We weren't close friends or anything like that, but he slipped in beside me and he began to congratulate me. I said, Brother, what for? He said, and I received his congratulations, he said, I don't know what y'all have done, but you've raised three of the finest children we've ever seen in our lives. He said, I really want to pay you special compliments on your boy. I said, well, thank you, but why? He said, I've got a son. Same basic age as your boy. Brother Jeff said he's suffering depression, and his depression has led him into drugs and alcohol abuse and everything else you can think of. Said he was saved as a young man, but he's turned his back on God, turned his back on the family. He doesn't sing with his mom and daddy anymore. He said, Jeff, would you pray for my boy? You've done such a good job with yours. Would you pray for mine? He said, we pray for him every day. We go to the altar in every church. We sing in. We Give it to God and ask him to do what only he can do. He said, would you pray for my boy? I said, I will pray for your boy. I said, I'm, I'm not going to pray for him because God's been so gracious to us and given us wonderful children. I tell people all the time, God knew we couldn't handle bad children, so he gave us three good ones. I said, I'll pray for him, but I won't pray for him based on my qualification as a great father. I'll pray for him because I love you. and I don't even know him, but I love him through Jesus. And I held that daddy's hand that day, and I prayed that God might be merciful and redeem his boy from the pig pen of that horrible condition that his own daddy had just described to me. He called me about a year later. He said, oh, Brother Jeff. I said, my boy, we were in church this morning, and my boy came in. In time for the preaching. Said he came in the back door of the church. And when the invitation was given, my boy walked the aisle. Rededicated his life to Christ. And about six months after that, he said, you wouldn't believe it, Jeff. He sings with us now everywhere we go. He sings with his family, plays the guitar and sings. It's a whole family band. I mean, they're all brothers and sisters and mama and daddy. 
last night as I listened to him sing, he opened their set last night. They're, they're kind of a country gospel group. You know what they open with? How many of you have heard the song, You're a Good, Good Father? That's what they opened with last night. And he sang it. And then he shared just a minute or two of his testimony, how God had redeemed him from depression and drugs and alcohol and all of that. The next song they sang was one you may or may not know. It's not that old of a song, but it's probably 20 years old. It's a song called It's Not So Hard to Praise Him After All. It talks about people who came to church and their minds were cluttered and filled up with all kind of junk. But when they get in church and they begin to realize how much God has done for them, it's not so hard to praise him after all. If you'd like to contact Dr. Steele, you can go to his website at jeffrsteele.com. If you'd be interested in Dr. Steele coming to speak or having the Steeles minister at your next event, there's a booking inquiry form there. You may also call the office at 256-590-2068.